0: Hi, and welcome to the Brewery FM podcast, hosted by Scott Hogue and Dan Usher, just two techies separated by a giant peach pit, talking cloud, autonomous cars, how beer can elongate your life, and technology. I'm Scott Hogue, and this is episode 19, recorded on 12 June 2015. Hey Dan, how you doing?
1: Well, you know, it's a sunny, warm morning here in Northern Virginia, and I feel like I'm melting outside.
0: You know, I flew halfway around the world just to talk to you this week.
1: Dude, that's that's pretty awesome.
0: Thanks. Long trip. 29 hours, door to door.
1: Door to door. So that includes, like, the uh, security ah, first game?
0: yes. Uh, those aren't too bad. You know, if you fly, you should fly with small children, and then they put you in the TSA pre-check line automatically they feel bad for you didn't take my shoes off once
1: uh that's probably for the best for everyone but mostly your kids not having to go through you know the scrutiny that's that's interesting that they do that though i I didn't realize that uh having a family garnered you the ability to automatically just slip through security like that
0: it's worked out pretty well the, the last couple of times we've flown uh, I know when I fly by myself, or when it's just my wife and I together, I usually get pulled into the special line. I think I look pretty suspicious. It's the Dave beard. Must be the beard, or maybe it's the gray hair. But...
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. Or it could be the shoes. Could definitely be the shoes. I, I mean, that's cool though that they don't. They realize that you know, having small children in long lines is probably not the best idea. So go ahead and cue them up to uh, get through a little quicker.
0: Such is life, but I made it, I'm in one piece, or several pieces, I don't know, still trying to figure that out and get back on this weird U.S. East schedule thing.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little daunting at first, but uh, I'm sure you can, uh, you can do it.
0: Life's good, I have Dunkin' Donuts again, I'm not, I'm not sure what else there would be that, that I can need at this point.
1: So you actually stole a car, took a cab, or you walked the 2.2 miles?
0: N- neither, or none of the above. We had a visitor come out and visit, visit us in Australia in April, and uh, they had brought uh, you know one of those three, four-pound bags of coffee out to us, and there was no way I was going to go through it knowing that I was coming back in June. So I told her to just fly back to the U.S. with it, She did that, and she shipped it down to the house where I'm staying down here in Florida. So I had a nice big couple-pound bag of uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee waiting for me. And it's already traveled around the world, so you know, I think that makes it a little bit tastier. (laughs) Or at least I'm going to pretend it does. I don't know.
1: So it's been exposed to small amounts of radiation by flying? Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. I might be a few inches taller next time you see me.
1: Uh, are you uh, are you green now?
0: <laughs> only glow in the dark a little bit, but I I don't think any more than I ever did in the past, so we we should be kosher.
1: Okay, well, that's that's encouraging. Um, so welcome back. That's, that's good news. I'm sure uh, some of the listeners here are probably going, wait, Scott left, and this dude. I have to tell you, it always cracks me up when I whenever I've been able to go to events and. Um, folks would come up and they'd be like, hey, where's uh, where's Scott? You guys are presenting together. And I'd be like, yeah, he's in Australia. And they'd be like, oh, neat. And you know, they wouldn't really think anything of it. And then a user group, you know, one of the other DC user groups, I'd go up and I'd be speaking and people would be like, oh, where's Scott? And I'd be like, uh, he's in Australia. And they're like, wow, he's still there? That's a long vacation. And then I think it was probably last summer at one point, somebody was like, hey, where's Scott? And I was like, look. He took a job over in Australia. He's not going to be back for a couple of years. Like drop it. And they finally were just like, Oh, oh I thought he was over there just, you know, like on a family vacation or something. And there's always just kind of made me laugh whenever folks would come up and be like, okay, that's, that's cool. Whatever. So I think it's going to be more confusing with you being back. Cause they're going to be like, Oh neat. When are you going back to Australia? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, uh, is this what my life has become? Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, gotta figure things out you know we're down in Florida at the moment and I've gotta head up to DC this week or next unfortunately I'm gonna miss your event this weekend I think uh and and just see what we can figure out you know we've been talking about this a little bit on and off on here but gotta find places to live and all that good fun stuff and like you mentioned um don't have a car or anything. So we're we're kinda starting over from scratch. We're gonna see where all that uh all, all that stuff leads to. You know, do do they have self-driving cars yet here in the US? I was hoping there'd be some like monumental advances. Uh but it seems like all the you know, I had to go like cell phone shopping yesterday or at least like SIM card shopping and it doesn't seem like much has changed there. Uh, I, w- I was hoping maybe, you know, America being this technological juggernaut had come up with something really fun in the last six months while I was gone.
1: Well, you know, there was a lot of talk that there was going to be, uh, some sort of announcement of something new and cool. One more thing at the Apple event this past weekend or this past week, but, uh, unfortunately not, nothing, nothing snazzy came out. Um, but okay. No, I mean, if you're going to be back in the DC area, we should definitely, uh, sure pine it up this week at some point
0: if you're around. We'll figure that out. We'll, we'll, we'll get it done, as it were.
1: Mm, it's always good. Huh. Um, so, I guess, uh, you know, exciting news that you're back. Um, any uh, any words of wisdom about, uh, you know, things not to do uh, when you're back on Terra Firma in the U.S.?
0: Things not to do. I'm still trying to figure out the things that I should be doing. Uh, you, you know, so you mentioned getting together for a pint. I think that's a wonderful idea. Uh did you know, did you see this thing? Uh there was an article a couple of weeks ago about a 110-year-old man who, you know, has had this wonderfully long life. Um, you know, 110 years is nothing to snuff at. That's kind of like getting up into like Hobbit age. And this guy, he's his entire philosophy and why he thinks he's lived so long is due to uh, drinking a can of beer a day. You know, Some people think an apple a day and the dentist and all that stuff. No, this guy's got it down. One can of beer a day, and you can live to be 110. So uh, maybe we should knock a couple more pints back just to be safe.
1: So I think it's uh, Warren Buffett who uh, made some sort of statement about you know his, his key to success in life has always been to have a small thing of ice cream every day.
0: So let me see. I can drink beer and live forever, and if I eat ice cream, I'll be rich. Awesome.
1: Yep. It's a good combo.
0: I think I can pull this off.
1: All right. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, live to 105, 110, 120. I don't know. Somewhere around there. yeah um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. So other things to, uh, you know, kind of consider while you're making your way back into the U S um, are you familiar with, uh, using a heel lock or a lace lock with your
0: shoes? I am. I've tried this out with a couple of different pairs. You know, there's some really, uh, fun sites for learning all the different kinds of knots and ways that you can lace your shoes, uh, of which there are many surprisingly, you know, who, who would have thought about this, but uh, somebody was kind enough to create websites and everything for it. So there's all sorts of different, uh, lacing methods, right. Based on whether you're going to go running or hiking or, uh, you want to lace up your Sambas. So they look really cool. All that kind of stuff. Um, tried the heel lock. I personally, I don't, I don't like them on too many of the pairs of shoes I have.
1: So for me, um, I didn't really know them. I didn't really know what the point of the heel lock was, so to speak. um, so I watched the video. I was like, oh, well, that's neat." And I talked to a couple friends, they're like, "Oh yeah, my my running shoes, I always have them that way." And I was like, "Oh, okay. I guess I'm not too knowledgeable about this stuff, which isn't the first day." Um, but uh it was kind of fun because, you know, how I go out and do the WNOD trail every so often, um I on many occasions have been like, "Man, I wish my foot would stop, you know, kind of sliding forward when walking." And so Sure enough, put the heel lock in place, and my uh, my shoes no longer slip, and so it's uh, you know it's beneficial, so it helped me out. But uh, at the same time, I definitely have noticed that my feet are not quite as happy if I leave them in uh, that heel lock mode for long periods of time, because you're basically uh, you know suction cupping or suctioning out all of the room for your foot to move around, and your feet uh, kind of go, what the heck's going on? Let us out of these shoes. So, um, yeah, kind of kind of neat thing. So I don't know if you've taught it to your kids yet, but you know, maybe it's uh something new for them to learn this summer.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you've ever taught a kid how to tie their shoes, but it's enough of a pain the first time that you really don't want to change up the 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 methodologies behind it for a couple of years, I think. So I I'm I'm going to lay off that one for just a bit. Um but yeah. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, like these things can help, right? When you're out running or walking around or doing whatever it is you do. Uh, there's all sorts of fun ones. Like you can do, uh, if you've ever tried, you can do like hexagrams and pentagrams and uh, asterisks and starbursts and zigzags and, and all those kind of things. Um, so I'll, I'll put a link to a really cool show, a uh, really cool site. So it's uh, Ian's Shoelace site. And it has animated graphics for all the different knot types and everything like that.
1: Hmm, I wonder if I can get away doing that with the uh, business shoes.
0: Uh, yeah, you, you'll be able to figure it out. As long as you can find your way back to the show notes, Dan. Where could folks find the show notes?
1: Uh, I bet they could find them out on the internet. Um, you know what we should do? We should talk to Todd Clint about getting a link off of his show notes to our show notes just for jollies. Um, But no, if you're looking for them, uh, you can hop over to Brewery.fm, that's B-R-E-W-E-R-Y.fm, just like it tastes, and that has all the show notes, all the episodes for basically this year. Um, But if you're looking for a specific episode, such as this week's episode, uh, if you hop over to... Hub.brewery.fm forward slash brewery 019. Uh, you'll be able to find that episode. And if you're really curious about, you know, smorgasbord of identity, then you just put in 017 and that'll take you right there. So it's a nice little pattern practice. Um, you know, if folks are trying to get a hold of us, uh, they can hit us up at uh, info at fm and send us a nice little note. Um, you know, one of the things I always forget is to turn on those uh, notifications. But um, so the uh, the other piece is, of course, if you're trying to find us on the Twitter, uh, you can hit us up via Twitter um, at Brewery FM, and you can find us on Facebook as well, Brewery FM. Um, if you, you know, we don't have an iMessage account, maybe we should create one. Mm-hmm. That's a bad no. idea. No. Um, but, uh, you know, I did get some feedback from a buddy of mine. He actually sent me a note earlier this week, and he said, Hey, uh, I downloaded it, and I've got some uh, some great ideas about, uh, you know, talking about coffee. And so it's kind of funny. You already talked about uh, a little bit about your, your precious Dunkin' Donuts. Um, in this case, uh, he was telling me about the benefits of bulletproof coffee. So I don't know if you've ever tried bulletproof coffee.
0: I haven't. So I been locked away in the penal colony known as Australia for a little while. So they like coffee, coffee over there. Uh, none of the drip coffee or things like that. And a lot of the mm, uh, the, the bullet coffee thing, that's a bit of like the, the hipster method, right? Uh, kind of the, the blending the butter or the some certain kind of butter uh, into your coffee to supposedly make it smoother, taste better or longer lasting, less filling. I I don't know.
1: Yeah, so it's a bulletproof coffee, and I'm sure our listeners will correct me on this, but uh, essentially it's taking a small little patty of butter and dropping it on top. So a lot of folks, they like to put cream and sugar in their coffee, um, which I guess is okay, except that you know, you're know you adding effectively uh, carbohydrates to your coffee, which could or could not screw with your digestive and metabolism cycles. So... Metabolism cycle. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, bulletproof coffee, you're just taking effectively cream and dropping it on top. And since most butter has some salt in it, um, that salt, and this is a trick you probably know, but adding just a dash of salt to coffee tends to take away some of the bitterness. Um, so a lot of folks are really, you know, digging it because it makes their coffee a little less, uh, bitter. And it also adds in that bit of a cream factor that they enjoy. Um, I don't know. I personally have not tried it. Uh, it seems just a little odd to me to be taking you know, a little piece of butter and dropping it. Now, if it was bacon butter, you might be able to sell me on it a little bit easier. Yeah, I
0: think the problem is that you're doing it wrong. So the bulletproof thing, or at least the butter thing, it's not about dropping the butter in, it's about blending it in. So quite literally using a blender uh, and then the original method, I remember hearing about this a while ago and, and people being pretty persnickety about uh, the uh, the actual process behind putting it all together. So it's got to be blended and it has to use, you know, uh certain kind of coffee or something like that. Uh, it's got to be grass fed, unsalted butter. Uh, and you should be using uh, some certain kinds of like oils in it, something with like an M or like. The the one set I'm seeing now it says brain octane oil, whatever the heck that is. Uh, it's
1: brain octane oil. Brain octane oil, Scott. I don't
0: know. Can that power my car? Probably. Power my brain? Uh, yeah, but y- you actually need a blender for it, right? So you're gonna put everything together, put everything in, and you know, give it a good like 20 or 30 seconds. Maybe you need like one of those like hand emulsifiers just to make your coffee in the morning.
1: That just sounds awesome.
0: I I bet there's a coffee shop down in D.C. that'll do that for you.
1: That still just sounds strange and awesome.
0: Eh, well, not all of our coffee can be bulletproof. Mine always leaks a little bit. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Leaking coffee. Um, Yeah, it sounds like your bot.
0: Uh, That guy has problems, too all sorts
1: yeah of i'm sure he does i'm sure he does so that was a kind of the, the one piece of feedback that i had received at least was uh bulletproof coffee it's not just for your grandparents
0: bulletproof coffee all right so we should talk more about coffee less about beer uh how about technology should we cover any of that stuff
1: uh you know i suppose we could um the the We'll go ahead and hit the general tech news to start things up, I guess. Um, so this is not necessarily new news, but I'm sure a lot of people probably haven't heard about this. Um, FAO Schwartz, my favorite toy store in the world, um, they got acquired by Toys R Us a couple years ago. Uh, I didn't realize that. Did, did you know that? Uh,
0: no, I didn't. But I, I do remember being a Toys R Us kid, if that helps.
1: Yeah, so... I remember, uh, you know, when I was a wee lad in Springfield, Virginia, there was a Toys R Us over near Springfield mall. It's since moved. Um, it's actually been converted over into a Waterford, which is like a wedding reception banquet hall kind of place. Um, but, uh, Toys R Us, I've always just kind of scratched my head how they stay in business. And obviously little kids want toys and they throw temper tantrums without them. So I kind of understand that. But, um, it was just a little surprising to see that Toys R Us had bought FAO Schwartz a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was a SharePoint user group of New York. You and I went and spoke uh, a couple of years ago. Um, we never did get that uh, speaker gift that we were promised, but uh, <clears throat> that's my main reason for not going back. Um, I remember we went into the the Apple store there, the Cube over on Fifth Avenue, Sixth Avenue. Um, and then also going over into FAO Schwartz and that huge Lego display. And they had like the superstar destroyer there. Uh, apparently that was one of two stores left for FAO Schwartz. And I'm not quite certain where the other one was. I think it might've been down in DC, but I'm not positive on that. Might've been up in Boston. Um, that was basically like the FAO Schwartz store in the U S uh, Apparently, they are going all online. So, no longer will it'll, <clears throat> there actually be a in store, uh, you know, brick and mortar FAO Schwartz that you can go to. Um, I guess, you know, maybe it's, uh, it'll be one of those where parents are like, oh, we should go order a teddy bear from FAO Schwartz because they make the best teddy bears or something like that. Uh, it's, it just seems odd to me that, you know, a business would still try to keep, uh, keep open online. With their brand, when really to me, F.A.O. Schwartz was just kind of like the, you know, the uh, the focal point or the concentration center of all goodness when it came to toys because they had like the Lego section, they had the Star Wars section, they had all these different sections that were very much like these are the things kids want. Um, So, uh, you know, to me, it was the the well-organized Toys R Us. So now that uh, they're going online only. I don't know. I kind of lose the appeal of it.
0: Yeah, you'll still be able to buy everything from Amazon, right? Yeah, it's true.
1: But I mean, I won't be able to go to a place and dance on a piano.
0: I th- think you can still buy the piano, though. So maybe we can get one of those for your house. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing okay. Christmas present. I just see the bells and the lights in front of my eyes right now. I can, I can uh, well, make I mean, this alternative-
1: happen. Alternative. Alternatively, we could just go up to Howl at the Moon in Cleveland and dance on top of the pianos there. Yeah.
0: Have you ever been there? Uh, I have not. Ah, uh, yeah, you'll have to take one of those Cleveburg trips. Uh, Cleveland's a fun little town.
1: <sighs> Cleveburg, I like it. It's,
0: it's it's a good place. Good people. Good food. They do yeah. have Howl at the Moon.
1: Hmm. So if I uh, if I were to go up to Cleveburg and I decided to drive there, uh, could I take a a Google car?
0: I don't know if I would trust any car to take me to Cleveland. Uh, Yeah, you you could try and take a Google car. They drive themselves, right? Like it's this new utopia.
1: But I mean, those—I don't even know where I could buy one of those. Could I just make one of those at home, Scott?
0: Yeah, I think you go to California. And you just buy one, and then you try and take it out of the state, and they arrest you.
1: So that's how it works. Okay, that's hmm, that's not uh, not very encouraging. Okay. Uh, now, so apparently there's this uh, this homemade kit that you can basically build your own Google car, which to me is uh, neat or actually I kid, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I really need to read these articles before we actually talk. Don't I? Uh, so Google is releasing their own homemade version of cars, um, that they will be releasing and putting out on the roads this year. Uh, they don't really look that pretty. We'll have a picture of them in the show notes. Uh, I guess maybe if you are a, uh, if you want to ditch driving, not have to have a steering wheel, not have to worry about, uh, you know, getting from point A to point B. Um, maybe this is your thing. Maybe it's your jam. Uh, I do see some, you know, and I hear this on other podcasts fairly frequently, um, some neat things that come along with self-driving cars, just in the sense that, uh, you're able to focus on other things, um, instead of having to get stressed out and, you know, try to hop from one lane to another. Um, and just, uh, you know, really focusing on what it is you want to focus on instead of focusing on driving. Um, so I, you know, I, I see some benefit to it. Uh, I, I do see some you know, instances where folks that uh, like to drive fast and like to live in the fast lane are going to be slightly frustrated by the fact that they won't be able to uh, you know, uh, take control.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not the end of the world, right? It's actually probably a good thing. So I remember back when all these companies, and it, it wasn't just Google, people have been looking at doing uh, automated cars for quite a while. Um, you know, Google is kind of autonomous, so their cars don't need any special tracks or things like that. But I remember watching um, some research, you know, where they laid down uh, basically sensors like magnets in the pavement, so cars could actually follow those to follow a track and everything. And then they wouldn't necessarily need to have all the logic built into them. Around as long as every car on the highway um, used the same technology, but like a lot of the Google cars and things like that, the benefit of them probably doesn't come from the extra time that you get on your hands. I mean, that's a nice trade-off, uh, but there's also some, maybe not necessarily safety things, but there there's some other outlying benefits to that, right? So uh, I believe they've done research where they show that these cars basically act as like pace cars. So on a highway, Uh, You know, if you interject like one of these cars for every hundred, it can do X amount to traffic flow and everything else and prevent some of that rubber banding and butterfly effect and and things that go on when you've got a lot of cars with a lot of different drivers and a lot of different driving types. So I think they look at it as a way uh, to not only make the future a little bit better, but also uh, increase safety and you get a little bit closer to kind of that utopia of, hey, if the sign says 55 miles an hour, it should I should be able to go 55 miles in one hour. And sometimes you can do that and sometimes you can't, but in a perfect world, you should always be able to go 55 miles in an hour. So let's get to that point and then look at things that kind of help us move on from there, right? Uh, and then as they do this, they've got all the other technologies that go into that. So let me help the car park itself. Uh, uh, I know a lot of cars now are like my rental car, Yesterday, when I was coming back from the airport, had a like a side, uh, like like a, a a swerving detection mechanism. So if you got too close to uh, the uh, shoulder of the road, and you, you were getting too close to that solid yellow line, the car would actually like beep at you, and uh, you would see like a little flashing light, like blinking, uh, over the side mirror. That let you know, uh, hey, your car is veering. You're, you're, you know, maybe you're a little too close to the side of the road. Maybe you're too close to the middle. You know, whatever it was, um, kind of worked both ways. So uh, that was pretty neat to see too. I hadn't seen anything like that yet.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I, I've seen a couple of those in some of the newer Nissans where it has the the drift sensing. Um, and I think uh, I'm not quite certain what cars have it. But uh, kind of the forward-facing radar where it detects you know how close you are, how fast you're going, how fast the other car is going, uh, so on and so forth. And that that's pretty darn cool technology. Um, I want to say, do you remember, uh, crud, this, this video was from a couple years ago, but there was a video put together by, maybe it was Mythbusters, maybe not, um, about the 405 freeway in Los Angeles, California area, and how... Uh, how it is that, you know, dips in roads and whatnot, you know, traffic really should, it's a straight drive. It's not really, um, that curvy of a road, but because there are different dips and whatnot, um, how cars slowing down and speeding up as they go over these different dips and roads, uh, causes the entire, um, pulsing of traffic, so to speak, uh, to slow down significantly and how, you know, folks changing lanes back and forth, uh, also contributes to that slowing down so even though you'll see that uh, that driver out on the interstate and they'll be swerving back and forth accelerating trying to get through um, one they're slowing themselves down they're slowing everybody else down in the process so it's uh, I think the autonomous cars and some of the technology that's being built in will help um, I want to say it was something like if they took if they put one autonomous vehicle into every batch of like 20 cars uh traffic congestion problems would be you know not necessarily fixed uh but they would be a little bit easier for the rest of us so who knows maybe maybe if it is all autonomous cars it'll just be like iRobot and you know driving will be so much simpler of course we'll have you know ns5s or ns9s or ns7s what were they N. S. Something. The robots uh, were coming after everybody, trying to
0: get uh, them. But. Let's go with eleven. N. S. Eleven sounds good. Right there we These go. Robots go to yeah. eleven. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. That, that was an episode called the Shockwave Jam. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well.
1: Mm. Yeah. So that was that was definitely interesting stuff. Uh, hopefully, I don't know. Maybe the four hundred five at some point will be uh, helped out. Maybe Interstate sixty six in the D. C. area will be helped out from this as well.
0: I'm not too sure that much could help that out other than actually telling people not to drive anymore. I don't even think autonomous anything is going to save the fishbowl, but uh, that's just one man's opinion.
1: Maybe teaching them to drive.
0: Yeah. I don't think that can be taught.
1: Fair enough. Um, so, you know, with, uh, with everything else, there's always just that increased risk of, uh, Accidents, insurance costs, and apparently increased costs to client access licenses for Microsoft stuff. What's that about?
0: Uh, So this has been coming for a while. Uh, I know as partners, a lot of us were made aware of this a couple months ago at least. Uh, So there's a Cal price increase coming across a number of the on-premises suites, Uh, So if you run things like Windows Server and you need some core CALs, uh, or even if you're running like the Enterprise CAL suite, or uh, say you use things like System Center, and System Center is a little wonky, right? That's always kind of had CALs across all the different bits and pieces. So there's always been different ones for Configuration Manager or Endpoint Protection or Client Management Suite. Uh and then you know there's also things like Windows Server RDS or maybe you use like rights management server. Uh maybe you use things like SharePoint server or project server or link server exchange server. Uh so all of these things on premises, they're gonna see a jump of about 13%, uh, is what Microsoft has let out. So Uh, like I said, they let partners know about this a while ago, and and we weren't allowed to say anything about it, of course, right? But you're allowed to start kind of prepping your clients that this change is coming. Uh, But Mary J. Foley, I think, had an article out on on ZDNet uh, talking about all this and uh, what it's going to mean. And really, it's about aligning prices again, right? Microsoft usually does this every couple of years. It's not a huge surprise that prices are changing you just never know which way they're going to go if they're going to go up or down Um, the nice thing is this only affects on-premises suites so if you have kind of blended things so say you use like office 365 and you're using like office 365 licensing for some of your on-premises stuff for like office clients totally cool that pricing is all staying the same um, as far as we know and Uh, as far as they've said, Uh, or if you use things like Enterprise Cloud Suite, which gives you a little bit of a blended mix, uh, that's all going to stay the same as well. So it's really about aligning single-user licensing um, up to what it needs to be or where Microsoft feels it needs to be for them to continue to make some kind of a profit on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's fair enough. I think... uh businesses do have to be able to make money in some fashion. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, I guess it's kind of, to me, it would be nice to be able to say, Hey, we're just going to give office 365 for free, um, or all of our other licensing for free, but you know, that's not, uh, not realistic. Um, Like you mentioned, uh, the writing's been on the wall for a while. I think there have been tweets coming from the Jeff Shueys of the world for probably over a a year now, a year and a half now. And I think, didn't they announce this at uh, SharePoint conference like two years ago that prices would be increasing? Uh,
0: It's always been up in the air, right? It's always out there. So like I said, they haven't had a price increase in a couple of years. The last one they had was uh, back in 2012, December 2012. So You know, being at the same price for the last three years account for uh, inflation and kind of, if you really think about it, value within the products, right? So Windows Server like vNext or like Windows Server 2012 R2, what that can do versus what Windows Server uh, 2008 R2 was doing. Like they are pretty different products and I would say you can inflict quite a bit more value um, out of the latest and greatest kind of stuff. Right. So you're going to have to pay a little bit more for that. Uh, it's not the end of the world. It's kind of the cost of doing business. It, it, it is what it is, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm sure some folks wish that, uh, you know, prices could remain low, but oh yeah. well. Uh, you it was, know,
0: uh, it's, it's tough. Cause we've been telling people for a long time, like if you're, uh, not buying into things like software assert, assurance, so doing like SA licensing and things like that, that can help out a little bit with some of this stuff, right? You can be uh, have a measure of protection around some of the price increases and always be guaranteed that you're going to have access to the latest and greatest licensing uh, and everything else. Uh, so this changes things a little bit. It, it's going to make um, hosting and leasing companies, stuff might get a little bit more expensive for them, right? Because they're going to have to pass along these costs. Uh, and maybe it takes, makes folks take a little bit more of a look at kind of cloud based licensing or some of like the, uh, EMS or like cloud suites, things like that, that, uh, offer some additional functionality over traditional on-premises single user licensing.
1: Yeah. Again, you know that you mentioned the software assurance piece and helping folks be able to get, uh, a locked in price, um, to mitigate that uh, that upgrade cost. Um, I think most folks just don't realize how they could probably save themselves a bundle of money by licensing things, pro- uh, things properly. But uh, that's, you know, a talk for another day. And that's also a certification to pick up. Or actually, you know, that would be a fun certification for Microsoft to put out there, would be
0: a licensing specialist. I do wish they had something like that. They actually... they. There is one program I can think of that has an equivalent is AWS has a uh, like a business accreditation, uh, which actually goes into kind of the the sales process and uh, all the little bits and pieces of pricing out a solution because that stuff can be really, really hard. Right. And then you throw in uh, this software licensing on top of it and all the little bits and pieces that go in there it really is a science sometime to sit down and play with the numbers and see what you can eke out of them and get them to where they need to be.
1: Yeah, and it's it's funny enough, real-time follow-up on this, uh, Microsoft actually used to have an exam um, designing and providing Microsoft volume licensing solutions to large organizations. Uh, it was retired back in uh, sometime recently. <laughs> Uh, it was the 70-672 exam. It was focused around uh, Windows 7. But it you know it covered a lot of those kind of topic areas. Um, they do have... Huh. We might have to go take this exam for Jolly Scott. Um, it's the 74-678 exam, Designing and Providing Microsoft Volume Licensing Solutions to Large Organizations, uh it was published last september so who knows maybe that uh, maybe that's the the jam that we need to get and be able to have on our resumes to be able to show value <laughs>
0: uh, let me just hold on i uh, i don't have a brick on this desk you know sometimes you just need like a portable wall to bang your head against uh oh man that's <laughs> a licensing exam you're crazy but more power to you. You have always been better at taking those tests than I have. I'm still I still haven't passed the 417. So
1: I don't think the 417 was meant to be passed. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, well, I figure if I just keep waiting at this point, eventually they'll include like VNext stuff in there and it'll have server 2016 and then I'll just be really messed up because it'll have 2012, 2012 R2 and 2016.
1: Right, and they'll have those mix of questions between uh, Azure Pack and Azure Stack mixed in, and then you'll really be confused.
0: Uh, It's going to be tough. I'm I'm getting a headache just thinking about it. Yeah.
1: So, you know, speaking of Azure, uh, since we recorded and kind of had like a a week in between of reality and being around, uh, a lot's happened in the past two weeks. Kind of, you know, looking through the announcements they've made. And if you haven't, if you don't uh, subscribe to the RSS feed for the Azure blog, uh, you're missing out. It's it's interesting stuff. They push out typically an article every day, article every other day. Um, so, I mean, they've got articles out there about uh, Cloud Foundry, which if you're not familiar with, uh, is one of those technology components that, Um, I'm not super familiar with, but I know a lot of people are like, oh, look, we can put Cloud Foundry up on AWS, blah, 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 blah. Well, you can do it on Azure now as well. So Um, some of the more interesting things, though, and probably I think this was uh, just as you were packing up over in Australia. Um, There was an announcement a day or two ago. Yeah, premium storage generally available now in Australia East. Um, So back on Wednesday as you were... uh, over the ocean they were lighting up uh premium storage and i i I got a laugh out of that i was like man scott could be using ssd now for his workloads uh so it's there now um more power to him. the other at least uh more interesting kind of uh, i'm sure that uh bill bear and others were probably like yep we've been able to do that for a while uh is the ability to run sharepoint 2013 dev test environments inside of azure um so now they've they've broken it out, and I guess they have four different options you can choose from. Uh, I have not gone and tried this yet, but uh I think it's you know nice that they've at least gone through and started to make things a little bit more uh usable so kind of neat um they They have four different uh configurations that they recommend uh which I guess they have resource management templates for now. Is that kind of the deal, the jam?
0: So they did publish some of that stuff out. So I think we talked about this last time we recorded, uh, that they have the uh, resource management templates all live out in GitHub. So they have a huge number of um, kind of example templates and, and everything else. So they sit out in GitHub and they actually use the uh, that little kudu, the de- deploy to... Uh, deploy to Azure button, just straight from the GitHub repo. So in in the past, uh, you couldn't actually get access to these. Even with like the ARM commandlets. you could go in and download some of the templates, but the SharePoint ones were always kind of hidden and locked away. Uh, and today, you can just go out to GitHub, and you can grab that template down and massage it and do what you need to do with it. So uh, those are for the resource manager deployments. So you can do the three-server farm Uh Or you can do the nine server, the HA farms. Uh, And then you can also, so you can do those through uh, ARM, Azure Resource Manager. uh, Or you can also do them through service management, uh, which is kind of just going through the portal and clicking next, 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 things like that. Uh, So you can do it the old way or the new way um, and kind of be off and running with it.
1: Which uh, you know the flip side is is now that those templates are available uh, to go download and work with, uh, you can start doing your own complex you know arm uh, deployments if you want to you, you know use their stuff as a starting point or you can start from scratch and build your infrastructure however you want with arm so
0: yeah, I would absolutely use their stuff as a starting point. so it's still based off of the original um, Azure SharePoint PowerShell stuff that, Uh, Michael Washam published a long time ago when uh, back when he still worked at Microsoft. Um, So that, that, that stuff's out there and exists. It's a good starting point. Uh, I know we've used it internally for uh, several projects and it's worked out pretty well. It does need a bunch of tweaking because it doesn't always do things the way that we would want them to be done in a perfect world. So think about things like service account deployments and uh, those little bits and pieces, But there's some things that you just would not want to have to start from scratch and write yourself, Uh, particularly a lot of the bootstrapping around Active Directory. Or if you're using those HA templates, doing things like uh, SQL Server always-on availability groups, um, getting that right in Azure, like if you look at the steps to do that manually, it's a couple hours of sitting and clicking and making sure you've done everything the right way. So you really want to automate that. But automating, it's just as tough, at least to get right. And the product group's already done some of that work for you. So you might as well build off, uh, build on top of it, have have a better day.
1: Better days are always the better days, right?
0: Personally, I mean, if I can have a better day and set myself up for a little bit of success... Uh, that's always nicer than engineering for failure.
1: Well, you know, speaking of failure, though, um, Microsoft did open up uh, Azure Backup being available in more regions. So in the past, um, you know, that uh, I guess it's the get Azure resources commandlet. Um, Or no, it's the get Azure uh, regions, I think, that comes back and gives you all the regions and what services are available inside those regions. So... It was always kind of funny when you would, uh, you'd you run that commandlet, um, and I'm probably using the wrong commandlet, but you know I'd get back the wrong information and then go back in and figure out which one it was. Um, the, uh, the information about that region, and you'd kind of chuckle because you'd go, wait a sec, they've got premium storage, but they don't have A-series machines, what? Um, so in this case, they've gone in and they've activated uh, the Azure backup to be available now in a bunch more locations. Uh, to make use of uh, that service offering, so kind of neat, um, you know. If you want to reduce your your failure, so to speak, um, hopefully Azure Backup can help out in some fashion.
0: Yep, it's uh, it's interesting to see that product stack grow and those things be pushed around the world a little bit more. Uh, They've done a really good job of getting the new data centers up and running and making sure that services make it out to where they need to be. Uh, So hopefully in the future, we'll see a few new regions come online. So if you watch the way things have been going uh, for the past year or two, uh, take Australia as an example. Uh, They had the new data centers come up online out there. Uh, As soon as the data centers came up online, they said, oh, by the way, uh, you're going to be able to do Office 365 uh, within those regions as well. uh, So you can start to get rid of data sovereignty issues, things like that. Uh, I know that Canada is getting ready to have some local Office 365 data centers spun up. So maybe someday we'll see Canadian Azure data centers as well um, and kind of grow into the mix and see what happens there. Um, you know, Microsoft's very good. Azure, far and away, has uh, more data centers than uh, AWS or kind of uh, anybody else out there. Uh, it's just a matter of catching up in scale, which is going to be really hard to do because AWS is huge and uh, they're, you know, kind of far and away the, the leader in IaaS. Uh, but maybe some of this other platform stuff brings it along.
1: But, Scott, I mean, I've got M4 instances that just launched, on AWS, why would I why would I need uh, Azure if I've got M4? I mean, it's a custom Intel Xeon Haswell processor optimized specifically for EC2. Is Azure doing that? I don't think they are.
0: Not yet. Not today. Um, you can get into the I believe you can get into the newer CPU sets on uh, the the big boys, the Godzilla series, right? The G series stuff. Um, my, AWS is a little bit better about kind of mm, they're not always deploying to the oldest kit all the time. And Microsoft for a long time uh, was using older Xeon processors and things like that. So I believe with the G series, you get into the new CPU set uh, and maybe in the DS as well, but I I might be mistaken there. It might be just the G series that gets you there.
1: Yeah. The DS is more, uh, I believe it's, Newer hardware, perhaps, uh, but it's actual SSD on the back end. So um, the D series alone is just SSD for your scratch dive. The DS series, I believe, is where you're actually getting SSD all around. Um, if you do a side by side comparison of what Amazon released yesterday and what they call their M4, um, their you know baseline uh, machine is two v uh, two CPUs, eight gigs of RAM. Um, and it gives you throughput of, uh, 450 megabytes per second. Uh, what they call their M4 10 extra large, which I cannot fathom a reason why you would need one of these is 40 gigabytes or 40 virtual processors, 160 gigabytes of Ram, uh, 10 gigabit, uh, network performance and 4,000 megabits throughput for disk drive. So that's, uh, it's pretty hefty, but it still does not compare to the, uh, the standard Godzilla five, which is the thirty-two cores, so maybe not as many cores, but almost three times as much RAM at four hundred forty-eight gigs of RAM. Which again, holy smokes, what am I going to use that for? Uh, along with a six and a half terabyte SSD. So yeah,
0: it's big data is big. I mean, <laughs> uh, what, what else are you going to do with it? It's uh, I'm I'm hoping that someday uh, AWS maybe adopts that per minute billing model that Microsoft has, right? So it's still, it it can be a little more economical depending on how much you have to crunch and how long you're going to do it. You know, if you only have, if you can spin up a big enough machine and you only need to crunch the data for 10 minutes, uh, you might be able to get some better economies of scale out of Microsoft's side because they're going to bill you by the minute. So it's going to take, you know, five minutes to bootstrap the machine, And you have to do your 10 minutes of crunching and then five minutes to deallocate. You know, probably not that long, but let's go with that for just giggles, right? So that's 20 minutes that you've used it. You're only going to pay for the 20 minutes you use. Uh, On AWS, uh, you know, as soon as you turn that thing on, you're paying for an hour of it. So you might as well use it for the whole hour. Um, So I hope maybe we can get some more adaptable workloads in there someday. Uh, It's just one of those kind of pricing differentiators between the two platforms.
1: Yeah, um, there's actually, so I got one of those emails this week, actually, that was talking about, you know, price reductions. I think a lot of that went back to just they were opening up more uh, different locations, different regions that would have uh, same services. They're able to lower the price because they're you know, spreading it out across all of the different uh, data centers now or regions. Um, but maybe something else that uh, was kind of interesting to me was the number of emails that I received from Microsoft this week Um, about privacy and how they were simplifying their privacy policy. Uh, I don't know if you received any of those. I know I received at least 12.
0: (laughs) Only 12? Come on. Well, you you know. You you need a couple more Microsoft accounts. That's your problem. You don't have enough. Um, I know they're consolidating the Skype agreement into like the MSOL online agreement, right? That's all coming into line and uh, getting to where it needs to be. So uh, that'll be nice to have all that stuff in there. Uh, what else are they pulling in? Or are they just kind of trying to simplify things across the board?
1: Uh, I think it was, you know, they were taking the Facebook approach of attempting to make things just a little bit easier. Um, uh, it just, it made me giggle because I think I received this email literally three different times with three different images. Um, So their core behind it was covering uh, all the different online services. So if you're familiar with how Microsoft does their SLA, where if you are searching for like an SLA for Office 365, um, you actually are going and looking at the Microsoft Online Services SLA, uh, which points you back to the same SLA as Xbox, Bing, MSN, Skype, OneDrive, Outlook.com, and other things. And that uh, each each different service does have a separate SLA, but it's all bundled underneath, you know, Microsoft Online Services. So in the same way, they pretty much said, all of our consumer online services, uh, they're going to go through and they're going to add simplicity, privacy, and transparency. So the simplicity aspect basically being that uh, instead of having, like you said, you know, I've got a Skype uh, terms of service, I've got a uh, Bing terms of service and MSN account terms of service, they would have it all bundled in just kind of one spot. So you wouldn't have to go searching for it. Um, and that privacy statement, uh, really, you know, kind of being more coverage across everything. Um, their privacy aspect, just, uh, you know, stating, Hey, our, our privacy chain is our privacy, um, statement has not changed, but, we are trying to uh, pull it into a single dashboard so that you don't have to go hunting and pecking, uh, trying to find you know what privacy controls uh, affect what different Microsoft products, um, and then the transparency side of things. Uh, this is I don't want to I don't want to say they're they're going through and trying to be the the good kid on the block, but. I think they're really just trying to remind folks, hey, you know, there are legal ramifications for different things. Um, please don't, you know, take us as uh, thinking that our software is going to be non-problematic. Um, and I, I say this mostly in the aspect of, you know, someone goes and downloads a beta piece of software and the beta piece of software crashes on their system, and the person isn't able to be, be, able, be able to do their job, and they're like, oh, Microsoft, why didn't you have your software, you know, pristine? Um, you made it so I couldn't work, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think this is maybe uh, you'll, you'll see this out on the Windows 10 website. Uh, if you go to download Windows 10 as a Windows 10 Insider, uh, there is a little section at the bottom that says, our lawyers made us say this, and it has like a little blurb about, you know, the software is beta software. Uh, it may cause system issues, blah, blah, blah. It's still being worked out, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, I think they are trying to do a better job of all this. Uh, All this does take effect on August 1st. Uh, We'll have a link to the consumer services this involves, as well as a link to the privacy dashboard that they're going to be launching. So kind of neat stuff. I'm glad to see that they're making an effort to make it easier on us rather than having to hunt and pack 28 different places.
0: Yeah, that's uh, always nice to see that stuff get a little bit easier, right? They've gotten very good about this over the last couple of years with um even consolidating things like the trust center, right? And saying, here's a one-stop shop for all the things we host and uh, all the different platforms we offer and everything else that goes into it. So um, always good to see that stuff grow up and move along.
1: Yeah, uh, I think I agree with you. I think uh, it's in the right direction. Um I know... Very much in the past, uh, you know, documentation had been a problem finding things. And so, hey, it's consolidated, fantastic.
0: Not, not too shabby, right? Um, you know, speaking of documentation, uh, one last thing we probably have time to cover today. Uh, we, we've talked a little bit in the past about the Azure PowerShell commandlets, And, uh, you know, we've been talking about uh, service management and uh, ARM resource management, or Azure Resource Manager. So I'm sure you've done a couple deployments where you've had to play around with uh, both sides of the commandlets. So uh, going through and using that switch uh, Azure mode and kind of changing between contexts and saying, I'm doing it with the service management API or I'm doing it with the uh, resource management API. You, You ever gone through and done that and found it maybe to be a little bit confusing?
1: You mean where I want to cry because I'm expecting different outputs depending on which I'm which mode I'm in?
0: Different outputs and different inputs, right? So a lot of the the commandlets. So take a simple commandlet like new Azure VM. Uh, new Azure VM in the ASM module uh, has different inputs and expects different things than new Azure VM in the ARM commandlet. So. Same exact commandlet name, but completely different functionality. And actually, what they bootstrap and bring back to you is a little bit different, and the types of VMs. So, something like new Azure VM, you know, creating a V1 versus a V2 and those kind of things. Um, so, over the last week or so, uh, there's been a little bit of movement uh, in the Azure PowerShell repo, and they've actually Uh, come out with a proposed timeline to ditch uh, switch Azure mode. So folks have been, I think, vocal about this, that uh, it's very strange, right? Uh, The Azure PowerShell commandlets and this context switching, uh, that's pretty much wholly unique to the Azure PowerShell module. Uh, I'd never really experienced that with any other modules because typically what we'll do is once we've installed a module, we can... Uh, loaded up on demand, right? So if I wanted to switch between something like ASM and uh, ASM and ARM, uh, that could have been done just through saying, let me load the ARM module, let me unload the ASM one, and then when I want to go back to ASM, let me just go the other way, right? Rather than having this big context switch in the middle. So they've actually come out and said, hey, we're going to simplify things. Uh, they've announced the deprecation of switch Azure mode, which is awesome. Um, it's probably going to have a little bit of pain to reengineering some solutions so they're trying to come up with a way to rename some of the commandlets because you know again they they had the same names across asm and arm so maybe something like new azure vm uh, they want to leave that stuff alone for ARM because hopefully people are starting to build solutions on ARM now. Uh, and then for ASM, that stuff will change. So maybe new Azure VM becomes a new ASM VM kind of thing is, is one of the proposed changes that they have out there right now. Um, so what they need to do to make all this happen is they're going to go ahead and actually start to break things apart So ASM and ARM are going to be their own separate modules now. So rather than having everything live within one module, uh, we get this nicer, mm, kind of more pure PowerShell way of doing things, right? Let's just load and unload modules as needed. So they're going to start splitting those apart next month. And Mm -hmm. then they're going to start, take about a month, uh, go ahead and retool things, get everything ready to go. Uh, do distribution in July and August and hopefully get some feedback and everything else on there. Uh, And then that lets them go ahead and actually remove that switch Azure mode, which they intend to do hopefully in September. And then the really nice thing is once these are two separate modules, uh, this can start to bleed into other Azure services. So in particular, things like Azure Automation, so those Azure uh, cloud-based runbooks, so those automatically have the Azure modules loaded into them and it's pretty much nine impossible to figure out what the heck you're doing in them with the context switching and everything else and getting credentials and what's going on. So Azure automation is going to be updated after all of that and you'll be able to load the separate modules in there as well by September uh, if everything goes according to plan, which is going to be really, really nice, should simplify things quite a bit.
1: So where's the release about that? I don't remember seeing that. Uh,
0: it is in the GitHub repo. So it is issue number four twenty eight, and yeah, really, so it's get rid of Azure. Uh, so the issue that somebody raised was, hey, let's get rid of switch Azure mode because nothing else in PowerShell land works this way. Um, and the product teams actually come back, or, or the team that builds out those commandlets, they came back uh, about. 20 hours ago or so now. uh, And they said, here's why we're getting rid of it. And here's the timeline and everything else. Um, And they actually, they have a dedicated page to it in their wiki as well, uh, which will include a link to the original issue. So folks can kind of follow the thought process behind that. Um, And then the wiki article as well, which is conveniently titled, what is switch Azure mode and why are we deprecating it?
1: Well, that's interesting. Uh, I'm... Huh.
0: That's going to make a lot of folks really happy.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if you're on the if you go up to GitHub.com forward slash Azure and you start looking through the uh, documentation, if you scroll all the way down, you'll see something that says two modes, and it says starting from 0.80, we're adding a separate mode for Resource Manager. You can use this following commandlet to switch between them. Blah dee, blah blah. They are not designed to work together. And then they have the little code example. Uh, I don't see the the piece
0: you're talking about. Um, so go into go into which, the wiki. So you click wiki over on the right-hand side, right? And, and then yeah, yep, there's yep. like 10 or 11 pages in there. One of those pages is deprecation of switch Azure mode. Well, look at,
1: yeah, that. We'll look at yep. that. Yep,
0: deprecation of switch Azure. And like I said, that's tied to issue number 428 for folks who want to know those kind of things. And uh, So again, this is real-world community feedback, right? Like somebody from the outside goes in and says hey, why are you doing this? What's going on? And the team comes back and says, "Mm, we realized that wasn't maybe the greatest way to do things. So you know what? We're going to fix it. And here's a timeline. Here's how it's going to happen and everything else, which is excellent, right? Really nice.
1: Yeah. So I guess uh, two weeks ago, somebody had mentioned, quote unquote, the two modes in Azure are painful and confusing to work with. For example, there's two different get Azure VM commandlets, each listing its own set of VMs. This is a horrible design. Please build a PowerShell module where every module is available without having to perform confusing operations like switch Azure mode. The Azure module is the only module on the planet with two modes, and for good reasons, it's plain stupid design. Um, So I guess is Brant B uh, someone from, no, they're not either. Um, Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to see that the community feedback was able to get them to finally budge on this one. I would have thought this would have uh, happened a lot sooner, but I guess since uh, arm was a little bit uh, not fully baked last year that uh, you know this is definitely good stuff uh, going forward oddly enough this uh, this conversation was nine people that will affect the entirety of how you know all of us PowerShell hackers and programmers and developers have been uh, going about building arm for the past uh, year or I guess we haven't been building ARM until a month ago, but uh, building PowerShell scripts that use ASM for the past couple of years. So interesting.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, again, they're they're very forward about it, right? So uh, one of the guys actually mentions in there, you know, why they came up with switch Azure mode in the first place, uh, and that was all around. We had to cover up the fact that a lot of the commandlets in ARM share the same name as commandlets, uh, because they were used to manage the same resources. Uh, and really the reason they did it is because they liked the names, right? The names made sense. Something like new Azure VM. It makes it makes sense to have a new Azure VM, but you needed a new Azure VM in both both modules, which made it uh, a a little strange and a a little weird. So that was kind of their way through to make that all work. Uh, and now they're correcting course and coming back to kind of the middle and saying, okay, uh, we recognize this wasn't the best way to do things. Uh, let's go out and find the best way to do it now that everything's getting a little more mature and a little settled down.
1: Sure. And I think, you know, as far as, uh, the switch mode goes, though. I mean, when we, when we originally had Azure, Azure Resource Manager, um, which I guess was a while ago now, um, because they released that last year at Builds, but it was just very, very deprecated. Is that right? Or it wasn't deprecated. It just wasn't very feature-rich.
0: Yeah. Um, they, you know, it's kind of like everything else, like the portal. So as APIs and everything are released, they... Uh, release updates to the PowerShell modules, right? So as we see new things in the REST APIs on all sides, then we can see new things come into PowerShell. Like the, uh, you know, again, folks don't always real- realize that anything that happens in the portal or anything that happens through PowerShell or the CLI or through uh, like the Node stack, any of that, it can't do anything that the backend API can't do. Right. So un- until the APIs on the back end uh, get released, the front end stuff, you know, it's, it's always just just a hair behind uh, and waiting for the latest and greatest stuff to come along.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking, though, uh, the functionality you had with Azure Resource Manager, it was there. It's been there for a while. It just it was kind of one of those where it was the oh, yeah, if you want to go play with resource groups, if you want to go create one and group your things together uh you can go do that um but you have to switch modes and people will be like oh what a pain so yeah um that's that's cool i did not know they were going to do that and there's no blog article out there yet so you heard it here first
0: well uh, you would you would have heard it on the repo first right but not not, not everybody well, yeah. takes the time to follow and watch those things so i have nothing better to do and i have an email account with awesome filtering in gmail so why not me
1: you demand. um so I think the only, the last thing to just kind of men- make mention of is Microsoft's put out uh, a nice little article on stepping through creating a resource manager based uh, Azure virtual machine with PowerShell. And I know we had talked about this last week um, or two weeks ago about uh, the article that's out there um about uh, using Azure Resource Manager and all the different uh, kind of you know, hey, if you want to go learn this, here's the place to go. And he walks you through all the different MVA things to go watch and all the different articles to go read, which is very very helpful. But uh, Microsoft kind of said, you know what, we should probably put together something like this as well. Um, so they have an article that just says, you know, hey, if you're creating an ARM template, uh, you need to make certain that you actually include these elements. So they walk through and tell you what elements need to be there. Um, what data needs to be inside those elements, and then they kind of provide, you know, a couple quick uh, run-throughs of how the templates work. Um, Like you mentioned, if you go out to the Azure GitHub repo, uh, there's that quick starter template repo that has a bunch of different templates that are uh, great starting points for different projects.
0: Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff out there for folks that want to take the time to learn it, right? Uh, We're not hurting for resources. It's more around just sitting down and trying to uh, figure out all those different bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, so um, Arm's a little wonky, right? Because the authoring experience can put folks off the first time. So you're, you're dealing with these JSON-based templates. Uh, so JSON is great for kind of... Um, uh, as a storage and transportation mechanism for a lot of these configurations and everything else. It can be a little off-putting to have to author it because uh, you're just in a plain text file and everything else. So m- maybe someday we'll get some additional tooling in like the PowerShell ISE. Maybe somebody will build like a module or we'll get something in uh, like Visual Studio because now we have kind of those native uh, PowerShell um, uh, Visual Studio uh extensions coming through as well, supported by Microsoft. So uh, maybe we'll see if things like IntelliSense for some of these templates and stuff someday. Uh, I thought that
1: they had that in Visual Studio, no?
0: It, it's it's very light. Like it's not as rich as when you're actually like, say you're writing code, right? You're doing like a C-sharp oh, yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you've still got to kind of start from a, cut and paste kind of place and have a template with, uh, uh, the right like service revisions and everything in it, which are, you know, these combinations of dates and times and just weird strings that have to be there to make things work. Uh, so not only having the authoring piece, but maybe also some validation or something like that would be, uh, really nice to have someday. Uh, but you know, obviously they've got to get through some of these other pieces first.
1: Details. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, yeah, I think I could have sworn, oh, no, no, no. So what I did was, uh, I think I pulled down some of the quick starter templates and just opened up in Visual Studio. I was like, hey, look, it knows how to use JSON. And,
0: yeah. 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 Yeah, a little bit. Well, Someday. Yeah.
1: Someday, somehow, someplace.
0: All right, man. Well, I think that's uh, pretty good for today. I have this Tim Tam sitting next to me and an empty cup of coffee, so I might need to go fill up my coffee and work on a Tim Tam Slam. Sounds
1: like uh, deliciousness.